welcome to Offwatch, a podcast by the Ocean Race. Welcome to Offwatch, our weekly interview series where this week is the turn of Juan Villa, navigator for Mafre in the last edition, but somebody who first got involved with the race 30 years ago as navigator on board Fortuna Extra Lights, but also somebody that, who's been there at some major twists and turns in the sport of sailing. From the America's Cup, from setting records around the world, if you look at those key moments, you will find Juan Villa woven somewhere into their story. Juan Villa is one of the best navigators in the world. He's had incredible successes. Uh, he has campaigned for the America's Cup multiple occasions, winning it twice. He has done the ocean race on multiple occasions, winning it once with Ilbrook in 2001 too. And of course, he set a record in the Jules Verne Trophy round the world on board Bank Populaire. Now, that's only a taste of some of the remarkable achievements that this man has done. So, uh, Juan, thank you very much for joining me. Um, there's there, there's so much that I want to touch on. There's so much that I want to ask you about from the incredible man overboard um, on board uh, with the 89-90 edition of the race. I want to ask you all about leaving the uh, BMW Oracle boat stuck head to wind on the start line in the America's Cup. You know, I, I, I want to get to that um, incredible last edition that we've had of the race. But before I do, I've just, I want to read you a couple of quotes from your teammates in the last edition. Um, so this one is from uh, Antonio Netti. And he says, he doesn't mind being wet. He doesn't mind sleeping on the floor. He doesn't mind not eating. He's one of the hardest sailors I've seen in my life. And Blair Took had this to say, he helps with stacking, goes to the bow to lower sails and does all kinds of things. He's always ready to roll up his sleeves and work with you. Um, that's not normal behaviour from a lot of navigators that I've sailed with. So when you step on board a boat and you're there as navigator, how do you like to fit into a team? How do you like to be seen? Yeah, well, just one more of the team. I think the um, the key to success of on our team is just to that um, everyone is contributing as much as, as they can to the to the team. So just um, just one more, not seeing me as a navigator, but just like another sailor. Um, yeah, I know there's many people that don't like um, people to ask them questions, but I'm just happy for everyone to come, understand what we're doing, where we are, and so forth. So. Um, so, um, no, I think uh, <laughs> my colleagues are, are too kind with me, I think. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, I, I like to help with uh, another, another sailor on board for sure. Uh, well, so there's, well, there's one more quote, though, that I didn't read. And, and this, one, uh, this one was also from Antonio. And he says, so, so he's, he's, he's talking about you. He's so tough, so much so that to drink coffee, he takes the envelope takes the bag, opens it up and puts the coffee granules, the powder, directly in his mouth. Um, there's being tough and then there's some interesting behaviour. Are you somebody that's doing this because you don't like to take the extra weight of a cup and a spoon? Or are you somebody that is just, I'm working hard, I don't have time to make the coffee, I'll just eat it? Yeah, I think it's more about time. It's just um, that sometimes you're... Just woken up, need to go on deck or do something, and then uh, and then um, you're um, a bit rushed on time. So <laughs> that's what where I developed these kind of skills. <laughs> but uh, but uh, no, it's just uh, yeah. After that, I also drink a little bit of water. So it, it doesn't matter if it mixes down inside or it mixes before coming in. But um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's more about uh, about the time. So yeah, just. Um, People start seeing me about with doing this, and then suddenly it just became like a, a sort of a legend. <laughs> I surely it can't taste that good, but fine. I understand the time thing. Um, I wonder whether that's always. Have you always been this tough and this sort of ready for the battle? Because we talked about the last edition. Uh, in a way, you know, everyone was saying, "Oh, the Southern Ocean legs in particular was very tough." 
It was a really difficult waves, wind. It was a hard year. But you look back at some of the races that you've done with the ocean race. I mean, you did the 89-90, but the one that I think really stood out for me in terms of toughness was 93-94 when you were on board with uh, Galencia. Yes, yes. And and, and on on leg two, there were boats with rudders breaking off. You had delaminating. Um, Back then when you started, did you still have that kind of ability to weather the, 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 the roughness? Well, I guess I think that that's where it all started, right? At this at this time, uh, especially in the in the Fortune Extra Lies and Galicia, my second my second one, we were all um, quite young, um, and uh, and basically uh, also less experience, obviously in uh, in in doing um, in doing round the world races. So it was a whole of a new world for us. So uh, we we. Um, yeah, we kind of had the um, the all the energy to uh, to just do well and, and push as much as we could. So so we didn't really realize that we were tough. Probably sometimes actually we were uh, a little bit uh, risking too much, and especially obviously in the in the first one. Um, and as you mentioned early on, we had yeah a man overboard, and that's probably um, seeing now in uh, in uh, hindsight and and. Um, and seeing uh, with with a little bit more experience, obviously that um, that um, I could almost see myself like a bunch of young guys just um, going crazy around the world with with um, just trying to push as much as they could, but um, but obviously with um, with um, not much um, brains to sometimes to uh, uh, put the throttle back a little bit. Well, let's talk about that man overboard because it's a remarkable story. I mean, before we get into it, let's just let anybody. Uh, listening who doesn't know, this is a good story. It works out well. I mean, it was a remarkable recovery of Geordie. Uh, I think it was the the crew member that fell overboard. I didn't know about this until one day when we were working in the office in Alicante. You were at sea. He came into the office and did a live uh, chat with you. And it, it's it's remarkable to imagine the bond between you know a sailor and the crew when you've been through something like that but what ha- you know in your own words like what happened there because as a young navigator this is your moment this is a lot of responsibility yeah it was uh, everyone's responsibility so uh, yeah uh, the i think when you when you hear a man overboard call that uh, i mean that's the last thing you want to hear on on the boat but um, uh, suddenly just the the adrenaline kicks up and um, um, yeah somehow you it just comes automatically would say okay I'm the navigator so I'll need to go and just need to find 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 a position so just uh, obviously we didn't have GPS at this yeah. time so you wouldn't just click up the the man of a board it's, it was we had some sad nap but this was uh, these sad naps where you had a position if you were lucky every two hours or so um, so it all had to be um, kind of dead reckoning so knowing the timings and the, the headings that we were doing, um, and luckily he had a radio beacon as well that I could I could actually hear it. Um, so that's what's like a kind of RV ever directional finding beacon. So I just uh, switch it switch it on, and every occasionally it would give me some kind of rough direction as well, where to search him. But um, but yeah, we lost obviously visual sight of him because there was quite a few waves, and then we had to take the spinnaker down. So we, it was just in a moment where we were changing from uh, one spinnaker to another. Then a squall came in and then it just uh, was more like 30, 35 knots. Um, and uh, basically he had one of the of the braces that, that hit him and, and just went, went overboard just at the, with the bad luck that was the time where he was um, unclipping to, uh, to go a little bit for, further forward. So, um, and um, and uh, yes, yeah, so everyone, but the, the guys on deck did, did an awesome job as well of just trying to keep track of him. And um, the interesting thing is that one of the uh, indications as well that um, that helped us um, see where he where, where he was uh, was the um, the kind of the birds that were kind of around him. Um, obviously, the the birds are probably pretty hungry there and they saw something that had the potential of being food at some stage. Uh, 
<laughs> and then um, and then you could see like some birds just staying there steady. So say, oh, that must be where where he is because obviously they would they would be looking for something that or interested in in in, in knowing what what um, what was there on the water. Um, and uh, yeah, it took us. I think it took us like I don't know, fourteen or sixteen minutes, something like this. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think I think it's seventeen minutes in the in the records, which it, which is astoundingly quick. Seventeen minutes. I think the water temperature was like two or four degrees, yeah. something like this. Yeah, it was um, a fair bit south. Um, and luckily, he had uh, the survival suit on when he when he went overboard. So he was obviously it was um, kind of wet and. And uh, and um, when conditions were rough, we pretty much uh, all were wearing um, survival suit. He had all his gear on. He had the um, obviously the um, the life jacket, which worked quite well and and helped him stay afloat. And um, and and he had also the radio beacon, which he activated as well. Um, obviously, at this this time it was all um, a manual activated, so he had to activate it. He had to just bring it up as much as he could. So all these little things just help us, uh, and then um, and then obviously when when we came in, it was a it was a bit of a frenzy. So uh, we um, y- yeah, we obviously you do early in the race your um, your training if this happens, but it's very different if there's um, yeah big waves. Um, and, we have, with, with uh, and, and it's, it's something that is real. <laughs> I, 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 I at the end we. Well, the, the one thing I wanted to ask you about, because I remember seeing the interview, I remember seeing the interview with you and him when he was in the office and you were out at sea and you were saying that he, when you picked him up out of the water, he was very calm. He was very, very relaxed. He actually, it was funny because uh, you could see him on the water and he was seeing the boat and he, from the water, he told us, calm down, calm down, I'm okay. <laughs> so he must have seen us like everyone just panicking or anything like this, because uh, from him on the water, he was the one that just told us, easy, <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> so instead of being the opposite. Um, I wonder with something like that, very early on, you know, as you say, you know, you were young, you know, all of us have to learn whether we're sailing a boat or whether we're driving a car, you have to learn. Sometimes you need to slow down. With something like that happening um, very early on, and then in the next edition, like we were saying, uh, you had delamination when you were in the Southern Ocean, boats with things coming off, when you were in uh, on Ilbrook, and we'll get to that in a minute, but there was a point where you had water in the forward hatch and you know things can get very scary. With the last edition through the Southern Ocean, all the boats got through, uh, Vestas with the mast coming down, but that was sort of past um, Cape Horn. Do you, do you ever see anybody, as the boats get stronger, do you ever see anybody getting complacent about going into the Southern Ocean? Is it, is it important to remind yourself that going into the Southern Ocean is, uh, is serious business? Yeah, it's important in general to have respect for the sea, um, uh, especially in the Southern Ocean. But I think um, every time you go on the water, it's, uh, it's, uh, you can't lose the respect. Uh, anything can happen, can happen um, even obviously close to shore when, um, when, uh, when you think that is a good day, might turn up in a, in a, in a, in a bad day quickly. So it's, it's, uh, it's important, well, first to be train a word, just go through the through all the procedures like forecast safety everything um, but um, but again in the southern ocean especially it, um, it's it's uh, it's a lot of respect i don't i don't think that anybody gets complacent everybody knows that when you go to a southern ocean lake in a, in the ocean race then you're then you're really you're really um, you're really going in, in one of the of the difficult difficult legs and uh, and uh, obviously it's going to be tough because it's going to be yeah windy sometimes you're going to be like a lot of hard maneuvers going to be um sail changes in, in difficult conditions uh, so so yeah it's going to be a little bit of sleep it's hard to sleep when the boat moves a lot and so yeah it's all these these things but also also you have to be careful and obviously um yeah it's uh, it's uh, it's 
you can do as much as you can to minimize the, the risk, but there's always a risk in when you go when you go off offshore and you go when you go ocean racing. Uh, I, I, I let, let, let me ask you one more question then about the Southern Ocean because one thing comes to mind, which was in the last edition of the Ocean Race with you and Dong Fong, and um, I spoke to Shabby Fernandez doing one of these interviews and I spoke to Charles Cordrelia and I asked them both about the incredible few days when Mafre, Don from race team and jibe, 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 jibe all the way down the bottom of the ice limit. Um, you, you, everybody on Mafre, everybody on Dong, Dong Fong, you were working your crew so hard. Um, how comforting is it when you're a navigator and you're asking your crews, look, you can have 15 minutes sleep, then I'm going to need you up because we're going to jibe again. How, how good is it to see them survive and, 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 and go, yes, we can do this? You know, was it, was, did you ever have any doubts about asking them to work that hard, whether they could do it? Yeah, obviously. Um, um... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone is just going for uh, for um, obviously the victory and and um, having a boat close to us, like in this case, um, uh, it just motivates motivates everyone. So the problem there is that uh, we started by saying, okay, we're just going to jab every hour. We want to stay close to the ice limit, and um, and then uh, don't think I think he was jab early, so just made a gain on us. So then we tried, okay, we'll do half an hour, and then we ended up just pretty much jiving every 15 minutes. Oh. But uh, everyone seeing the other boat, it was really just, no, 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 we're going to go for it. So everyone was really pushing hard. It's those things where you don't even have to ask. It's just everyone just saying, no, no, let's even telling you, you know, let's go. It's obviously that we're going to make a gain there, so let's let's do it. And um and um and uh, yeah that was that was obviously a tough time especially because of the lack of sleep it was like um i think it was close to 24 hours probably just jibing jibing and jibing so it's like 24 hours every 15 minutes or every 30 minutes sometimes um sometimes we had a little bit of a of a relaxed time maybe we could get into an hour if the wind shifted and we had a, like a long a longer a longer jive just before the um before the uh, ice limit, but uh, yeah, and then on top of that, obviously the you can't really see the ice limit, so I had to make sure that we don't we don't get into the uh, into the uh, forbidden area and we don't get penalized. So uh, and then also you want to go as close as you can over there. So obviously we always leave like a little bit of a hundred meter safety or something like this. But um, but uh, yeah, you want to really do it at the time. So sometimes. Um, it was tricky because they say, okay, yeah, but no, there's a good wave. There was windy, obviously. They <laughs> want to jive in a wave. So, no, no, let's wait and say, no, no, you have to jive now. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it was, yeah, lots of jibes in um, in uh, windy conditions and uh, and also, um, yeah, and then all the stacking that comes in, uh, all, the, all, the, all the stuff is not just uh, the maneuver time, but it's also then just moving the sails to the right side and so forth. Yeah, I mean, for all of us thinking about our weekend sailing, a jibe is, well, a good jibe is maybe 20 seconds. A good jibe on a 65 offshore is, like you say, 20, 25 minutes. Um, did you have to, uh, thinking about how hard you were working your crew on all of the boats, everyone was, and how many people there were doing the ocean race in the last edition who were very new to ocean sailing, I mean, Famously on board Mafre, you have uh, Blair Took, incredible sailor, not that much ocean race experience. Um, what did you, someone like yourself, who's done so much, not just in the ocean race, but also uh, uh, record-breaking attempts, what pieces of information, advice did you give the young sailors before you went off on a leg like the Southern Ocean legs? You know, what have you learned that's so important to do? Uh, well, not special, especially, I mean, Blair, it would be hard to give him advice. He's really full on and really, really pushing. Obviously, he's very competitive and um, and he he's 
just a sailor, so it's just a, a different race. Obviously, before the uh, the race, we had a lot of offshore sailing, so we bonded all the all the all the team, all the all the crew together. Um, uh, but no, just um, just doing my job of a navigator, answering his questions, what he wanted to know, where we are, where we're doing things, and what the options are. Just get his input. Um, um, yeah, but not uh, you don't really need to. Um, I don't think you even to the young sailors. You don't really need to to give them some advice. Just um, if they have questions, obviously you 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 answer about how you your experience and you share your experience. But apart from this, then they're definitely um, they're definitely uh, the best sailors you 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 have around. So it's um, it's probably the opposite. He could give me some advice on how to do some a few things some. Um, Little things on on deck uh, on deck uh, for for deck work and so on. So he could um, definitely um, get advice in me from him rather than the opposite. Do, do you? Do, I'm, I'm going to ask. This is a silly question for the interview, but just for myself, I'm really interested to know. One of the things that's been incredible about doing this interview series is I get to talk to some really famous sailors who I've spent a lot of my sailing life looking up to, like yourself, uh, Charles Cordrelia, and, you know, amazing people, like really incredible people. When you go sailing with people like Blair Took, even with all that you have done yourself, winning the America's Cup, do you go, wow, I'm sailing with Blair Took, I'm sailing with Xavi Fernandez, you know, gold medalist, and do, do you get a chance to enjoy those little things? Yeah, yeah, I do. Obviously, um, just sailing with uh, with those guys is a pleasure. Sailing with Blair, sailing with Xavi, um, have a lot of respect for them for what they've done, and uh, and, and obviously at their and um, at their um, even obviously younger age, the the amount of experience they already have it's it's uh, it's amazing. I want to ask you about Xavi, but uh, um, because I know you hadn't sailed with Xavi before. You did the last edition, but I, I'm, I'm going to wait because before I do that, I, I want to get to this topic of navigation because I think it's a really interesting uh, position on the boat, which is which is very hard to understand unless you have done it yourself. So for that, let's go to your uh, Bank Populaire, Jules Verne, round the world. And, and I just want to understand the role of the navigator because in something like a record-breaking attempt um, or even, you know, just an ocean leg, your preparation for this is months in advance. You know, you know a sailor, you can pack your kit bag, you can turn up to the boat, you can go. How much work do you have to do beforehand? Yeah, it's a lot of preparation. Obviously, in the in the um, yeah, preparation is probably ninety percent of 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 the key to the success. You can't really get get into a into a good end of a of a of a competition without without a, a good preparation. So on a, on the navigator side, is basically studying history as much information you can have from um, from the obviously the historical attempts, what what's been done, how they gone, one why they've done this route, what so on. Try to understand that. Um, then uh, go through uh, just a bunch of history the last 10 years or so, and then just try to, with your polars, try to route your boat and see what 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 the options, how the routes would go, and um, and try to understand why, and try to um, have a little bit of an understanding what's um, what could be the more uh, some sort of unsafe or um, or even um, probably. Uh, yeah, just um, um, not so uh, not so safe routes for um, also even for the for the time just to, because you might end up into a dead end mm. uh, if the forecast changes a little bit. So um, just try to understand all that uh, prior to the race, and uh, obviously on top of that, just try to uh, get also your um, your racing tools ready. So all your all your software programs that you're going to work with improve that set it up and so forth. So, um, yeah, that, that takes some time. Uh, fortunately, in the case of Bon Populaire, I had a, a great navigator with me, which was our onshore router, which was Marcel Van Trist. Um, and that makes things so much easy. So, uh, so that, that was good. And, um, and then obviously on top of that, you have to prepare with the crew, with the uh, skippers, just, um, have a, have a talk of what, what the thoughts are, when to, when to, as we said, uh, 
the beginning when to when we need to push harder when we need to to um, um, to uh, back up a little bit and, um, and and not take so many risks and um, all um, just building all these um, all these um, yeah communication with the with the skipper as well and so forth you do that as well for but that comes through normally through training as as you do with the um, with the uh, you bond yourself with with the other crew and and um, and all the team together. It's so much work. I mean, it's just so, as you say, it's 90% preparation. I, I wonder, as somebody who was sailing, you know, like you said, before the, the GPS that we all e- use so easily now, you know, you've seen so many tools develop. What's easier? What's harder? I imagine, you know, in the past, you're navigating a slow boat you haven't got the advantages of all the very clever wind models, tide models and all the data. But because the boat is slow, well, you can only plan so many moves ahead. You know, your options are very simple. Now you have all these incredible tools, but the boats are so quick, you're having to plan so far ahead. Is one easier than the other one? Has it become more difficult because the boats are faster? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's different. Um, I'm, it's hard for me to say if it was difficult earlier or, or later. Um, obviously, early on you had uh, you didn't had as much information, but also you didn't know uh, many times where you were, where where the ice was. Mm. Um, now you know where the ice is. Um, this like satellite uh, detection that picks up picks up um, pick up these large, large icebergs or areas that, that you know that there's going to be ice and there's, um, there's good tools especially on the on the weather and ocean side things have improved a lot um, in, in these times and in the early times we our weather information basically we had this fact simul that <laughs> you just tune to radios and you had to radio facts and you had to interpret the weather maps and you say oh yeah there's the more breeze um, you might have had like if you're lucky like forecast to 24 or 48 hours um, and then after that you didn't know what you where you were going so it it kind of uh, was much harder to elaborate um, or to have confidence in your in your tactics so you also work with climatology and and um, and see what the normal roads would routes would would would, uh, would be and what it used to be the best so you'd you'd work a little bit of, of history. Um, now you have much information, so now you're you're um, as a navigator, your job shifted from from just working with the with the tools, um, just uh, objective tools and weather routings and software and so forth to uh, to uh, and then interpret that. Obviously, everyone in the last uh, had the same tools, but sometimes the routes were were different, or thoughts were were different. So um, so um, this this obviously a work of interpreting the the weather data um just to uh, to um find the, the best strategy for um for the boat and i imagine with with more information more data like you say better models i imagine that there's more pressure on you as the navigator you know back in the old days you could say well i had a forecast for 24 hours but we've been sailing for a week so uh, you know i'm doing my best do you find that now as a navigator, people assume that you are going to know exactly what the wind is going to do? And if you're wrong, do people yeah, point the finger and look at you a bit funny? Uh, yeah, well, what the wind's going to do, it just depends on, on the obviously numerical models forecast. And um, I think the... Um, yeah, what, uh, what you need to do is, is basically um, just... A little bit communicate how much trust you can have on this on this particular forecast and and so on and and especially how far you can trust the forecast. I mean, you can do a strategy from the beginning of the leg to an end of the leg. Um, and uh, I think the key is explaining explaining this to the whole crew and watch captains and and skipper and 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 you know just knowing. And sometimes they have comments that. Um, that uh, you say, oh, so I, I haven't, I haven't thought about this, and that might be a good point. And then you just look at, or you just relook through the data, go through it again, um, and um, and yeah, obviously this, there's, there's um, 
I think that's always been the navigator is at the end is one of the um, the key persons to decide a strategy is, uh, is the one just that goes through all the information. So um, obviously the skipper is also important in 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 elaborating the strategy. But at the end, uh, the decisions will be as good as 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 how you interpret and go through the information and and and, um, and the recommendations you might you might be able to make. So. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's there's a lot of pressure these days because uh, <laughs> especially everyone has the same the same tools than than the others. And I remember on the first um, uh, round the world races, we uh, we yeah we we kind of look at what the other boats, what kind of tools they had, and uh, um, I think uh, and and obviously off or some other boats would would come also to our boat and see what what tools that we have from. From everything, not not just navigation, but um, but also like safety, especially. So uh, obviously, safety sa the safety aspect was was more shared between between and experiences between all the uh, all the other teams early on. Um, now, pretty much, we we are told what safety equipment to mm. to uh, to bring on board, and it's actually uh, almost it's not the responsibility of the organizers, but the organizers take up a lot of responsibility on on that field. It's interesting that you say that sort of one design aspect of safety equipment, obviously in the ocean race, one design aspect of boat, at least with the last two editions. Um, and as you say, a one design aspect in uh, weather tools. This is your information. This is what you're going to get. You all get the same. And I wonder, do you prefer that? I mean, I know with Ilbrook, Back in 2001-2, you know, you could submit, oh, these are our 10 websites that we're going to be using. And there was the controversy about, did you have access to another website that no one else did? In the end, you didn't. It was all fine. But you, it creates suspicion. Do you prefer it now that it's just the same? As long as, yeah, as long as the tools are enough and they're, and they're good, I think it's, it's better than everyone has the same tools. So... So at least the, the the aspect of suspicion of having extra information, which it's always been there and it's going to be there if if you um, if you if everyone just looks at, at their or just decides what information do they want to get on board. Um, um, so it makes it it makes it probably fair. Um, I think the important thing is that you have enough tools that you can look at or enough information that you can do your job. So um, obviously, uh, yeah. Um, in the last one, if we had to change something, I say probably just getting satellite pictures updated more often. That would be that would be best. But but apart from that, I think we had we had um, we had um, the tools that that the navigator would would need. So I think it's it's fair enough that everyone has the same information and um, and that makes it equal for everyone. And um, and um, and uh, it takes also a little bit of work from us. Uh, from the beginning of the race to look through exactly through that through all the all the information we we obviously look still through it before before the race through extra extra information um, or extra data but um, but it takes it takes off the um, the amount of work of like as you mentioned like saying okay what websites can we use which can be better and why this and not that one and uh, and so forth so but um, I think it was fair enough then as well because uh, if you nominate a website, everyone could get to this the same website. So yeah, so uh, it's just a matter from everyone to understand why why this other guy has nominated this website and <laughs> why he's doing why he's looking at this website and not the other one. So, so and then um, you'd hide that was interesting as well. Yeah, you'd hide a couple of websites in there that were just just to make people worried. They were no good, but they just to make people curious. Um, so. Okay, let me ask you this then. Uh, you personally, as a navigator, what if you're wrong? What if you make a call, we should do this, and then it's wrong? How does that affect you? And how do you go and tell the rest of the crew, I got it wrong? Um, well, you have to be you have to be open about about the decisions. You know that you're not going to get every decision correct. Mm. 
uh, at the end is not about taking every decision right, but it's just about taking most of the decision right, and especially not not put uh, the team in a situation where if you don't get it if you don't get it right, then you're you're off of the of the race. So so basically, just managing the risks, and um, and uh, and then well, if something doesn't work as planned, then um, just take it from there. And still, there's still a lot of race going on, um, and uh, and um, just develop your strategy from from where you are at the time, not where you could have been. Okay, so I, I um I think I think yeah I think that's a really yeah I, I completely understand that whole thing what you're saying about being honest and open. So let me ask you about something where people are not normally honest and open and people are very secretive and I'm hoping that you're going to be honest and open with me. Let me ask you about the America's Cup. Um, your first bid in the America's Cup was in uh, 2003 with Alinghi and you did three campaigns with them and then you were with Oracle. I believe you're now with Team Ineos doing some weather and meteorology. I could talk to you for the next six hours because I've got so many questions about that. But I really want to ask you about what was a very controversial America's Cup, which was 2007. So this was the Casamaran versus the Trimaran. And yeah, I, 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 I'm, just, I'm just curious as to what it was like to be part of that cup when all of the normal sailing with the, um, you know, America's uh, cup class, all of that was gone. And now it was build the craziest boat you can. In you go. There was all the things with the court case and the lawyers and everything. But what did it feel like when you got on the water and you thought, well, our boat is crazy their boat is crazy okay let's let's see if we can do this i mean that must have been bizarre yeah it's definitely not um not the the america's cup you'd expect but um <laughs> that's what it ended up unfortunately um and um and um yeah we we just basically had to uh had to uh take it from there it was it's yeah it Kind of a strange feeling, but it obviously there's lots of court cases, politics, and so on. So it's not it's not. Um, sometimes you want to be okay and let me let me do my job. My job is to selling. I just want to forget all about this. But um, but in this case, it, it it's difficult to uh, mm. to uh, not to uh, not to hear anything from the outside and not to hear what's going on because everyone. Um, everyone, all the other sailors, all the other sailing community that obviously um, hasn't been able to to be involved in the America's Cup just because the thing ended up just with two boats and with two teams. So, um, so yeah, it's it's um, it's uh, you have to. It feels like sometimes you have to answer well what's going on with. But uh, on the other hand, you don't really want to know about politics. You want to do your job. You want to. Just do the race, sail, and 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 get over it. Get over it the best, the best, the best we can, and and obviously still doing the competition, so still uh, just pushing to to win. For for those of us that, that that are lucky enough, you know, the ocean race is quite open. We get to follow it. We get to see a lot of video on board. What is similar from being in the America's Cup, winning, and being in the ocean race? winning and what is what is different how are those two worlds you know how do they compare uh yeah they have um they have similar things i mean in the america's cup there's also um there's also uh, cameras on board and so on uh i think what's different is that um in the uh, in the ocean race you start you start um a little bit when you start a race you start like a little bit in in an america's cup mindset or not not uh Let's not the other guys know about what we're doing in the boat <laughs> or secrets and and so on. You take it a little bit as a team. So it likes that's similar to an America's Cup. But um, once you have done a couple of 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 uh, legs, then uh, then you're more, normally more communicative with with other teams and kind of tend to share more experiences, especially what is related about you know safety on how you how the crew or the life on board and things like this. 
um, which can all, also help for for performance. So you you tend to to feel more um, that you're also part of the other teams of a group of teams that that um, and you and you and you um, kind of live more together with with um, the other teams or communicate more with with other teams as well. Um, while in the America's Cup is obviously it's also quite busy, so everyone ends up into their clans just. Not so much because you don't want to talk to other people, but just because you're um, you're obviously busy times and and you can't you don't really have that much time to uh, to uh, to say socialize on with 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 other other uh, team um, other teams. Um, yeah, so I think um, I think obviously the uh, the last ocean race, the, the fact that the boats were one design, it also took took much of um, of not being able to see what how the other boat is i mean everyone everyone um, was pretty much allowed to 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 on 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 board another boat and just just be convinced that yeah the boats are exactly the same and so um also this takes a lot of um of uh, of uh, just thoughts about if some other other boat is cheating and so on so boats were maintained with with the same crew, they were maintained by um, by um, by uh, uh, a team that that was maintaining all the other boats. So the, the, so that that made that made things more open. So um, yeah, I'd say probably the biggest difference is the um, the communication. Obviously, the the spread of winning and the competitiveness. I think it's it's the same in America's Cup or Volvo. They're all. Um, you might be more friends with the other teams in the Volvo, but at the end of the day. <laughs> Once you're underwater, you're um, you're uh, in the same spirit that you would be in an, in America's Cup race. Well, well let, let's go back to the ocean race then, because um, let's let's talk about your team then. Let's talk about Mafre. And you, you know, you're you're the first Spanish sailor to win uh, the ocean race or the Volvo Ocean Race, as it was back in 2001. Um, and you, you know, Mafre was really trying to win this race for Spain. It was a strong team. A lot of people on paper were looking at it thinking, this is going to be the Spanish team. You joined the team uh, quite late, I think. I think you joined it sort of July-ish, sort of in that summer leading into it. A lot of other people have been there before. You hadn't met Xabi Fernandez. What did the team look like to you? Why did you join that boat? Was it the Spanish flag? Uh, well, that could help a little bit as well, but uh, I think it's mainly at the end of, of the day is uh, is just about the team and just seeing the, the the persons that were on board, not only on board but also on the short team and um, and also um, um, just helping out the team or building the team together, like uh, um, uh, Neil McDonald's, Mike Miles Seldom. So uh, just uh, it was almost that just. Stepping in the team, as you say, quite late because uh, we had the America's Cup, well, Chubby as well in in Bermuda. So just from there, flew over San Chencho and then uh, and then joined the team, and uh, and then um, the obviously it wasn't a surprise, but knowing the people that were involved already before and preparing the boat, preparing um, the uh, the performance package, and just uh, making sure that the boat was getting ready in time and um, um, uh, I think uh, ended up from Bermuda to San Chencho and just, just almost hopping into a team that was already bonded and, uh, and about ready to go pretty much uh, there then. So, um, so I think that gave us a good, a good um, head start in, uh, in, in, the, in the last double ocean race. Because, so you mentioned something, and I, of course, I completely forgotten. You were in Bermuda. Shabby was in Bermuda. You were sailing for different teams. Is that when he first spoke to you and said, "Listen, you know, okay, America's Cup, we're on different teams, okay, but for the Volvo Ocean Race, would you like to be on my team?" Yeah, that's correct. That's um, yeah. I mean, you know that um, from one project to another, sometimes you're in different teams, and then <laughs> yeah. maybe in the next in America's Cup, we end up in the in the uh, in the same team. And in fact, in this America's Cup, we're on the same team with Xavi. So, <laughs> so um, yeah. So you yeah, you never know what's going to happen next. But but yeah, that was exactly right. That was in uh, in Bermuda where where we uh, met and start talking about it. Um, and, and then he, uh, started telling me who's, 
who's uh, the crewer and who is uh, already there working on the boat. And that's almost uh, from there it was almost a no-brainer for me to um, to that that had the feeling that it was going to be a good team, and in fact it was. So so what's Shabby like? You 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 haven't sailed with him before. Of course, he has a reputation. He's got a lot of good sailing results. You're his navigator. This is a very close partnership, navigator skipper. What was he like to work with? It was uh, very easy. He's um, he's um, he's uh, he's basically uh, just um, doesn't really tell what people should do. It just basically predicating with the example. So he's basically, if we're going to do a maneuver, he's the first one that he's going to go up and then, and then, and then help. Um, um, he's obviously a good leader, but he's also delegating, delegating a lot, uh, everyone, his responsibility. So he makes you feel, um, you know, an ownership of your area. So he's not the skipper that he would just tell you, no, 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 let's not do this. And he might obviously, Give you his opinion and his input, but on on every every job. So, in particular, on my my job as a navigator, but um, he was always very supportive of of um, uh, whatever whatever decisions and and uh, whatever um, advice that, that I was uh, coming up with. So, um, so it was it was pretty easy. Um, I kind of felt that it was going to be because uh, obviously. Um, you hear about I haven't sailed with him before, but um, you you uh, you sell with other people that sell with him, and everyone's telling you that that yeah how he is and and um, and um, and uh, to me he's uh, he's uh, really an awesome skipper and a pleasure to work with him. I am um, one of the things I have to do, and I'm sorry to do it, <laughs> but I have to ask you about the final leg in the last edition. Um, I spoke to Shabby, I've spoken to Charles and loads of different factors that I was not aware of and I think some of the fans were not aware of. It was very shallow, inshore. It was uh, choppy. There was, was The sea state was, was very different to the forecast. Um, looking back at it, it was the most important decision, but we have the best navigators in the world in the fleet and everybody saw it differently. It reminded me because I, I printed it out. Um, when I interviewed Charles Quadrelia and I asked him about that moment where he was coming down the shore and asked him about what he was thinking in his mind. And he said, this is what he was saying to himself in his mind. If we don't win, I will spend my summer, my year, maybe my life thinking about what I could have done. I feel very sorry now for the others because they will be thinking about any mistakes that might have cost them the race. Is he right? I mean, you know, of course, do you unfortunately go, oh, if we'd have jibed there in the Southern Ocean, if I'd attacked there on, on, the, way to, on the way to Europe, you know, is it inevitable that you're always going to look back and think, oh, I wish I'd have done that a little differently? Yeah, I think that uh, they always will always look back. In fact, even even through the race, especially at mm. the end of every leg, you uh, you always debrief um, the last leg and um, and try to uh, just to try to improve and and do things better and and, and to find out the um, the uh, the reasons why a call wasn't wasn't good and how can you can you make it can you make better decisions next time and so on. So. Um, yeah, the whole thing about the ocean race is about improving in every leg. Even 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 if you had a little bit of advantage at the beginning, or you think that you're um, that you're uh, that you're stronger than other boats. At the end at the end of the race, I think every boat was pretty much conversed to, and pretty much any boat any boat could could win the even the last leg. Any boat could could have won it um, potentially on paper. From the they had all they had the uh, the knowledge, the um, the sailors and the and the capacity to 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 win a leg, um, and um, and yeah, so it's it's a constant improvement. So you, yeah, you always think about what we what we uh, could have done better, uh, especially at the at the once the leg is finished. Probably once once you're in a leg, you don't think about it. You just go 
um, to the next stage and take it from where you are at every time. Um, but sure, and and if I had to do another another gold motion race, that's the um, I would I would look through every decision that I make on the past race and see why did I make the mistakes and see what what can be done to in, to improve those decisions and and those especially the bad ones, and um, and obviously you look more at the bad ones than at the good ones. You don't you don't really care about the good ones because you already done well, but where you need to improve is is what you haven't done so done so well. So uh, so for sure you you'd um, not I mean not so much now because I'm obviously in a, involved in an America's Cup thinking about other things, but um, if I had to do the next ocean race, then for sure I would I would go through all the races that I've done in the past and what what uh, what I can improve myself to uh, to make a better job. That's I mean that's the preparation that you were talking about before going through all the data. Um, lastly, then because I know that you're you're working for the next America's Cup and I'm sure you have a lot of work to do. So last is a question. Um, you've been competing for a long time. Uh, you know, I, 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 I can't remember how old you are now, but you're older than some people and you're still winning. Throughout preparing for this interview, I've seen some amazing different hairstyles that you've had. You had some amazing long curtains in the America's Cup. I like what you have now, don't get me wrong. But you've been you've been doing so much for so many years. In the last America's Cup, you were in the rib, chasing the boats, observing. In this America's Cup, you're ad advising about the weather. Like you say, oh, if I get forced to do another ocean race, are we going to see you in another ocean race? Are we going to see you in another record-breaking attempt? When is the next time that you're going to take onto a boat, in the water, on the world stage? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind doing doing obviously another another ocean race. Uh, it's if you had asked me this question after the after just right after the um, when the last one was finished, I would have said no, no, no way. That's my last <laughs> one for sure. I'm not getting in there. But no, I'm in the time where I'd say well. You know why not? I can still I still see myself like I can improve on some things and then I could do some things better and um, and uh, yeah it's it's the ocean race it's it's a special special one too so it's a it's a one of those where once you've done it once you you always want to repeat except except at the moment when you finish where you say no but that's, that's some things you forget after a while so yeah sure that's that's um, that's that's a, a race for me to. Um, uh, especially, uh, you know, being navigators, you always got probably, uh, you can be a little bit older and you still can, can make it there just because of the knowledge, experience and so on. And it, it has the, the possibility still of, I guess, maybe doing another one, but, uh, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I haven't <laughs> talked to anyone yet. Okay. Well, thank you very much for talking to me. Um, good luck in the America's Cup. I'm not going to claim any bias, but I'm my fingers are crossed for the team that you're involved with, certainly. Um, and thank you very much for talking to me about such a such a successful career so far. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see you in the lineup for another race soon. Thank you very much.